Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, October 30th. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. As California officials and residents deal with major fires across the state, a new fire sparking up, threatening the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library outside Los Angeles. On Capitol Hill, testimony continues in the impeachment investigation into President Trump, a key source now saying that security assistance was withheld from Ukraine at the direction of the president. And new numbers are revealing a record number of child migrants detained at the U.S. border. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. We begin today with the presidency in peril. Democrats laying out the guidelines for the impeachment inquiry ahead of tomorrow's vote. This as a screaming match unfolds between Democrats and Republicans after the deposition of an inquiry witness, which has tensions escalating even more on Capitol Hill. Here's the very latest. Wednesday brings two State Department officials to Capitol Hill as impeachment inquiry witnesses testifying before the Intelligence, Oversight and Foreign Affairs Committees, Foreign Service Officers Christopher Anderson and Catherine Croft appearing behind closed doors in two separate sessions. According to Anderson's opening statement during a meeting in June, John Bolton cautioned that Judy Rulliani was a key voice with the president on Ukraine, which could be an obstacle. Croft will testify that in a video conference one week before the president's call with Ukraine, an official with the budget office informed her that acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney placed an informal hold on security assistance to Ukraine. She added the only reason given was that the order came at the direction of the president. On Tuesday, decorated war veteran Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman made controversial statements during his testimony, telling lawmakers that he tried to make important corrections to the transcript of the president's call with Ukraine, but the White House released it without the changes. One key correction was replacing this ellipses where, according to Vindman, the president referred to tapes of Joe Biden. We're going to have to get this evidence directly from other sources rather than trust the White House on a transcript. Republicans discrediting Vindman's account. This is what happens when you read that transcript. You don't find that question asked. They're trying to frame the narrative. Adam Schiff is trying to write the world's greatest parody ever. Behind closed doors, Democrats got into a screaming fight with Republicans, accusing them of insistently asking questions to Vindman, trying to make him reveal the whistleblower's identity. Vindman making it clear he is not the whistleblower. The president would love to punish the whistleblower. Uh, the president's allies would like nothing better than to help the president out this whistleblower. Our committee will not be a part of that. Meanwhile, the House Rules Committee has released a resolution on the scope and the regulations of the inquiry, which will be voted on on Thursday and forces lawmakers to go on the record regarding the investigation. Every member will have to make a decision uh, based on their conscience. For Republicans, something that is happening too late after weeks of closed-door depositions. What the Democrats are now trying to do, they've basically uh, cooked up a process they've been conducting in secret. President Trump accused Nancy Pelosi of doing everything to destroy the Republican Party, saying the impeachment inquiry is just a way for her to secure her job as speaker. 
Meanwhile, an appeals court has stopped the House of Representatives from getting grand jury secrets for the impeachment probe, at least for now, a federal appeals court ruled Tuesday that the Justice Department does not have to provide secret details from the Mueller investigation to the House by Thursday. You know, the House has told the court it needs to review the, the confidential Mueller grand jury service. materials so it can consider multiple articles of impeachment. So far, the administration has been successful in delaying the House probe by holding up testimony from witnesses, Trump financial document subpoenas, and even the Mueller grand jury information sharing. And former Trump campaign advisor Joe George Papadopoulos, who served 14 days in prison for lying to the FBI, says he's running for Congress in California. Papadopoulos filed paperwork Tuesday to run as Republican in California's 25th district. The district's current representative, Democrat Katie Hill, resigned Sunday. Papadopoulos pleaded guilty in 2017 to lying to the FBI about his contacts with individuals tied to Russia during the 2016 election campaign. He cooperated with investigators and got a two-week sentence rather than six months, the six months prosecutors were looking for. Papadopoulos was released in December of 2018. Let's go to Northern California, where the Kincaid fire is now 30% contained. Salvador Duran is in Santa Rosa with the latest. Salvador, what's the situation there right now? Well, right now, Lorraine, we still have a red flag warning for the entire Sonoma County area. We are still in a lot of danger, according to firefighters. But right now, we are having a little bit of a break also. We're in Santa Rosa, where a couple of days ago, when we were driving up and down the street, to try to uh, buy some supplies. All of the stores were closed, but now firefighters have allowed them to come back and businesses like this one, this is a local restaurant here in Santa Rosa, is now back in business. So come on in and join me here because I'm going to show you exactly what's going on here in Santa Rosa as things are beginning to come back to normal. I'm going to talk to one of, their, one of the um, uh, Customers at the restaurant here, your name is, sir? Jose Luis Jose Luis, Jose Luis Guerra. Join me right here, Jose Luis, right over here, please. Uh, so you've been affected by these fires. Um, you have not been, uh, you, you don't have any electricity at home. What's the situation like for you here now? Oh, it's tough. Uh, no electricity. I have a little one. He's three years old. He's a little sick right now. So we're running generators, going to the gas station constantly. Um, trying to find some food. <laughs> and how long has it been going on? It's been at least a week, hasn't at it? At least a week, correct. And what have uh, authorities told you up, and, up, up to this point? Well, at the moment, we're actually trying to escape to find um, internet other places so we can get, you know, uh, notices and stuff like that. Um, so that's why I'm up here in Santa Rosa. Thank you so much. Now, you. can you imagine uh, two million people without power at one point here in Northern California now? We want to show you some brand new video that we just received from Southern California where the fires are raging out of control in Simi Valley, especially near the um, Ronald Reagan Library, which is right now under evacuation orders because um, the winds are blowing and they could be blowing up to 80 miles per hour. Um, it's at least that's what's in the forecast for today. And the entire region there, it's... Uh, under emergency, Riverside County, San Bernardino County, 
um, San Diego County, Los Angeles County, and of course now Ventura County with uh, these fires that are burning out of control. We are going to certainly keep you posted on the situation as things develop down in Southern California and also up here in Northern California. That's uh, the information directly from Santa Rosa, California. I'm Salvador Duran. Back to you in the studio, Lorraine. Thank you so much, Salvador, for that report. Arrests of migrant families at the U.S.-Mexico border are up, according to official data, and a record number of those are unaccompanied children. Janet Rodriguez has the details from Washington, D.C. Migrant families at the U.S.-Mexico border are up, way up, marking an increase of 342 percent, according to the latest numbers released by Customs and Border Protection. Authorities say the numbers are a result of the success of enforcement at the border. Although we've achieved an incredible success, there's more to do. The crisis isn't over. The bottom line for us is Congress still needs to pass meaningful legislation to address our broken legal framework if we're going to have a durable, meaningful, and lasting solution to this crisis. According to the latest figures released on Tuesday, the U.S. Border Patrol apprehended over 470,000 family members last fiscal year, up from 107,000 in fiscal year 2018. Additionally, around 76,000 unaccompanied children were taken into custody on the U.S.-Mexico border. This was the highest number on record, surpassing the 2014 surge of unaccompanied children. According to government officials, the search is due in part to the increase of the numbers of asylum seekers. The number have overwhelmed border officials who insist that construction of a wall, as promised by President Trump, continues to be a critical tool to combat illegal immigration. The wall represents exactly what the men and women of Customs and Border Protection asked for. The experts have asked for this wall. The leadership have asked for this wall to enhance their capacity and ability to effectively carry out their mission, to give them enhanced ability to have operational control over their AOR to do their job to safeguard this country. In total, nearly a million immigrants were arrested at the border in fiscal year 2019. This influx has led to overcrowding at detention facilities and, in some cases, deteriorating conditions, raising concerns within CBP, lawmakers and immigrant advocacy groups. Lorraine, and according to the newest statistics, the number of seizures of hard narcotics has also increased and the number of travelers that have been processed through U.S. Customs has now hit an all-record high. Back to you. Thank you, Janet, for, for that report from Washington, D.C. And staying on immigration, Hawaii is thousands of miles away from the U.S. mainland southern border, but a growing number of Central American migrants are finding their way to the Aloha State with hopes of starting a new life, which has presented a new set of challenges for both them and the locals. Andres Echevarria has more. These tranquil islands could not be further removed from the turmoil of the U.S. southern border. And for those fleeing from those hellish conditions, these islands are the closest thing to paradise. Maybe that's why in the last few months, Hawaii has become an unexpected destination for a growing number of Central Americans. When I was there, I lived in constant fear. Then I said to myself, I'm going to take the risk, and I brought my three girls with me. A comparable risk was taken by these Hondurans, who found a coffee plantation similar to those back home. It's a special place, super good, better than over there. What makes it special? The lifestyle. 
The difference is that here, nobody threatens to kill them. After being released by U.S. immigration in Texas or Arizona, they asked to come to Hawaii because they knew that other Hondurans here would give them a hand. Well, here I had friends ready to welcome me. In a way, many Hondurans and Central Americans are prepared to come and live in Hawaii. But Hawaii isn't necessarily prepared for them. There are very few lawyers here who can work their complex asylum cases, and even fewer who speak Spanish. So that's a problem. Now there's more cases than we can actually manage. The University of Hawaii's legal clinic in Honolulu offers free help, but they can only handle about six cases a year. And across the islands, there are hundreds of Central Americans who need legal representation. They live on the big island and Maui, and it's expensive to travel from there for just one day. The clinic's director wants other lawyers to come help as volunteers. I am worried because they say that those who have showed up alone have always lost their cases. The need is urgent, and the courts wait for no one. In fact, that is another obstacle. The immigration court is in Honolulu, and most of the Central Americans here are not. While picking coffee, many wonder what they're going to do if they can't find a lawyer. The idyllic island life far removed from their troubles feels like a dream. But there is no guarantee that they won't be sent back to the nightmare they left behind. Reported by Luis Mejid in Honolulu, Hawaii, this is Andres Echevarria for U News. And they say you are what you eat, but a new study suggests you also are where you eat and that children that live closer to certain types of businesses are more likely to be obese. Fabiola Galindo has more. Children living closer to fast food restaurants and corner stores, also known as bodegas, tend to be more obese. That's according to a new NYU study that found out that 21% of children who live within a half a block of a bodega were obese and 40% were overweight. The researchers used data from more than 3 million students at public schools in New York between the ages of 5 and 18. Ramiro Arriaga lives next door to a bodega. I mean, I like a broccoli and a spinach and other stuff, but but mostly uh, I kind of like the, uh, the junk food and I'm not really supposed to eat that. Jose Rodriguez works at a bodega and says it is harder to make healthy products more appealing to children. Uh, soda and chips, that was the, the fastest thing, and cheapest soup. The results of the study could help push for legislation that forces supermarkets to open up more stores in neighborhoods considered nutritional deserts. But even if the access to junk food was to be eliminated for many, that cannot be the only solution. This mother will like to see more physical activity programs at public schools. Que los niños hagan más ejercicio. Kids could exercise more, maybe Zumba for children, or more time at the gym. Obesity is worse among male Latino and African-American children, and treatment like bariatric surgery for younger people are now being considered. In New York, Fabiola Galindo, U News. Meanwhile, in Bolivia, protests over a disputed presidential election once again spilled into violence as police fired tear gas and the sitting president and opposition candidate wrestled over an audit of the results. In the capital of La Paz, rival groups marched through the street with some supporting Bolivian President Evo Morales and others lobbying accusations of fraud at the country's leader. Morales, who has been in office nearly 14 years, said the Organization of American States will audit the election 
and that he will go to a second round if fraud is found. And in Chile, the president, Sebastián Piñera, says ongoing protests have led him to call off two major international summits that his country had been scheduled to host. Piñera canceled the Asia-Pacific summit set for November 16 and 17. President Donald Trump and Chinese leader Xi Jinping were scheduled to meet at that gathering to discuss a possible phase one deal that the two countries are now close to finalizing. Piñera also canceled the global climate gathering plans for December 2nd to the 13th. Meanwhile in Mexico, a school success story. Badiraguato is a municipality in the state of Sinaloa. It has been marked by decades of poverty and marginalization and the stigma of drug trafficking. But as Paulina Gomez tells us, the city is also the unlikely setting for a school that's making an enormous difference in the lives of hundreds of children and teenagers. In the remote region of Badiraguato in the mountains of Sinaloa stands a key to a promising future. The Justo Sierra Study Center, or CEJUS, founded 40 years ago in the touristy town of Surutato. I thought about being a lawyer, going to law school, to show that I can be someone. Besides taking traditional classes, the students also learn everything they might need in the real world, from making tortillas to cleaning farm animals and other productive projects. They teach me how to be a person, a human being, to serve. It is an inclusive and integral school that's also a boarding school for those kids from more remote areas of Sinaloa. I am more independent as I am far away from my family. That has taught me to manage my money, my time and my life. Jairo, originally from Sinaloa, grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, but came back for family reasons a few years ago. Now he lives here where he is enrolled in high school and dreams of becoming an architect. Oh, I feel like there isn't any other school like this one. And it, the way they teach here is also very different and, and new to me, but I still enjoy it a lot. You have to study more on your own and you have to work well, harder because you have to mostly do everything on your own. Today, there are more than 500 students enrolled in Zehus, which is a public school. Throughout the story of this school, more than 1,000 students have attended its classrooms, transforming their very own futures, but also changing the history of their communities. Sejus is the only school community in the mountains of Sinaloa that offers not only the possibility to get a college degree, but also to go on for a master's and even pursue a PhD. To practice sports and take academic classes, to work on productive projects for just being here, that changes their mentality, driving them in the short and long run to get involved themselves in activities that benefit them. In the past, many students didn't even have the chance to finish elementary school, but today most of the students from Sejus go on to become professionals while avoiding the drug trafficking world that is so prevalent in Sinaloa. They would definitely be with their families who didn't attend school, involved in drug trafficking because they wouldn't have anything else to do, and it's the only way they could make a living. Also, from a very young age, the school teaches them to love their community, which has slowed down the rate of young people migrating to other areas.
CEHUS has trained us to exploit our resources in a rational way and see which industries we can help grow, such as tourism, commerce and production of local products. As people from Badiraguato get more access to education, they will begin to write new chapters in the history of Sinaloa. In Badiraguato, Sinaloa, Paulina Gomez Bulchiner, U News. More of U News after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. Two of the world's biggest car makers could be coming together. Fiat Chrysler and the company behind Peugeot are in talks. If they pull it off, the combined company could be worth somewhere close to $50 billion. This comes a few months after Fiat Chrysler dropped an offer to merge with Renault. And Amazon has made its grocery delivery service called Amazon Fresh free for Prime members who have previously used it. Amazon is eliminating its fee for grocery delivery in the United States as competition heats up in the rapidly expanding food delivery business. Prime members who haven't yet ordered groceries can request an invitation, but Amazon didn't say when it will start taking on new grocery delivery customers. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.